Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Get ready for the school year with Yumiko's annual back to school sale. Mix and match however you'd like within the basic collection. And upon purchasing two Leos, receive the third completely free. Whether you need black, burgundy, green, rose, or white, they have a handful of different styles to choose from. Kids and men's items are available to order too. Yumiko is also excited about its virtual shopping events through Instagram Live. Two hosts showcase exclusive in-store options available to ship immediately with different promotions offered at each session. If you haven't tuned in yet, be sure to check it out. The options shown are not available online, so it's the perfect opportunity to snag a unique Yumi at a discount. For more information on the back-to-school sale, live events, and summer stock availability, stay connected at yumiko.com and at yumiko on Instagram. I'm Rebecca King Ferraro. And I'm Michael Breeden. And you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Today on the Conversations on Dance podcast, we are sharing our chat with American Ballet Theater soloist Calvin Royal III that was recorded as a part of the 2020 Vail Dance Festival Digital Edition. Through August 15th, you can watch our Zoom chat with Calvin on the Vail Dance Festival Facebook page or on their YouTube channel. While you are there, we encourage you to explore the incredible eight evenings of content that truly highlights what makes this festival so special. But hurry, the videos are only available through August 15th. Welcome everyone to the 2020 Vail Dance Festival Digital Edition. My name is Michael Sean Breeden. And I'm Rebecca King Ferraro, and we are former ballet dancers with the Miami City Ballet, and we are now the hosts of the podcast Conversations on Dance. It's our pleasure to be here for the fourth year at the Vail Dance Festival to help bring audiences an inside look into some of the works that they see at the festival. Today we are speaking with American Ballet Theater soloist and artist-in-residence for this year's festival, Calvin Royal III. Thank you so much for joining us today, Calvin. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, so we'll start with you at the beginning, which is a place that we often like to start on our podcast. Um, you had what is considered a later start in your dance training. So how did you first become exposed to ballet and what were some of the challenges associated with um, overcoming a start that was a little bit later? So yes, like you said, I, I started ballet when I was about 14. Um, I came to dance a little 
earlier, a few years prior, um, I did this community project called the Chocolate Nutcracker um, every December. And we did West African dancing, hip hop, jazz. Um, so that was my first sort of exposure to dance. Um, and then I was studying music at the time too in middle school. So when it was time to audition for the high school performing arts, um, I auditioned for music, dance, theater, and I got into the dance program. Um, and it was honestly really, really difficult that first year, um, just getting my body to do these things that it just didn't want to do. Right. <laughs> I mean, ballet is hard um, as it is, and, and just learning the technique and the vocabulary, um, learning how to partner, um, it was just really, really challenging. Uh, and then I, I had gotten a scholarship to go away for a summer intensive um, that first year after I first started ballet. And it was after I came back um, from the rock school, uh, I noticed my teachers and all of my other classmates, they're like, oh my God, you got so much stronger and you could partner a little bit better. Your feet got, you know, a little bit more stretched. And so I think it was after that experience that I realized, okay, like if I kept pushing myself, how much further could I go? Mm -hmm. um, and three years later, I was moving to New York. <laughs> <laughs> so was American Ballet Theater sort of always a goal for you once you had um, that re revelation that, you know, maybe this could be a, a career move? To be honest with you, like I, had, I remember watching so many DVDs of ABT and other companies. Um, and honestly, it wasn't necessarily like the, like I didn't mm -hmm. have it as like the dream company mm -hmm. back then. It was me just trying to find my bearings with everything. And um, so it wasn't until later that I had gotten a scholarship to train at ABT, at mm -hmm. the JKO school at ABT, that I was sort of immersed in this world of all these amazing dances that I saw on DVDs all the years before. Mm -hmm. And um, that was kind of like the moment when I realized once I was in New York studying at ABT, that this is where I wanted to be. And this is where I wanted to you know, keep pushing myself and see how much further I could go within the company. And um, and so, yeah, I've been there now going on 14 years since I joined the school up until now being a soloist with ABT. Amazing. One way that you were able to continue to push yourself while you were already a professional was with the Leonore Annenberg Fellowship yes. grant, um, which is $50,000 to um, basically push yourself as an artist. It's a pretty crazy gift there yeah. um but what how did you choose to spend that money like what did you um did you how did you brainstorm to get to a place where you're like these are the ways that i can best further myself with this grant yeah so when i first found out about the grant that i had received it like nobody's ever given me 50k before <laughs> and been like it's your choice do whatever <laughs> you want to do with it <laughs> Um, but I, I had always been, you know, dreaming of traveling and working with private coaches um, in some of the top ballet institutions in the world. And so when I got the Annenberg Fellowship, I said, okay, I would love to go to the Paris Opera. I would love to go to the Mariinsky. I would love to go to the Royal Ballet and Royal Danish. And I put together this whole sort of travel package and, and coaches that I wanted to work with. Mm -hmm. And it all got approved. And I went to all of these places and got to work with incredible coaches, take class with all of the company members and, um, you know, just to experience some of these cities that I had never traveled to before, um, visiting museums and, you know, just mm -hmm. historical sites and things like that. So 
Um, and also getting to see live performances for some of the companies I'd only got to see either on YouTube right. or, you know, through DVD. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I spent my time traveling and working with these private coaches and also uh, working with an acting coach to, mm -hmm. you know, get the feeling for the roles that I would potentially do eventually with ABT. Right. How long, um, how long into your career at Valley Theater was this? I joined ABT in 2010, and then I got the Annenberg in 2014. Right. So, uh, so you're still a fairly new company member. Um, and at, at Ballet Theater, yeah. you, there is, um, you know, like a, sort of a long line for, for these plum roles. You know, you have these seasoned principals that have been doing them uh, X number of years. It's always a really big deal when it's like, oh, this person you know, who's typically like a soloist, a seasoned soloist. It's like, oh, wow, um, Bella's getting her premiere in Odette Odile. Yeah. It's like, it's everyone knows who she is, but you have to wait in the line. So this seems like a perfect thing for someone like at your age and your place at that time to get that experience for roles that are, uh, maybe you're in line for, but aren't going to happen for, say, four more years or whatnot. Yeah. yeah, and to be honest with you, that was sort of my the realization that I had because I know being at ABT there is sort of like this hierarchy and you waiting in line and mm -hmm. I wanted to get my feet wet I wanted to mm -hmm. have that experience of getting these roles in my body working on the acting parts of, of these characters that I would one day play mm -hmm. so it was kind of my chance to just like go for it and it was the ball was in my court to mm -hmm. to make it happen so um so I was really really glad that I got the fellowship how did you go about researching where you would go and who you would work with? There's such a plethora of places. It's felt like the sky was the limit, but you do have to like cut it back at some point. So how yeah. did you do that? Well, I mean, honestly, I think for some, some years before I got the Annenberg, I, you know, I have friends that I think that I was in summer intensives with over the years and, and um, was in the JKO school with that, are now all over the world. And so mm -hmm. I was always in touch with them about their companies and what their experiences were and who were some of the people that they were working with. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of the, the coaches that I had the opportunity to work with um, was by recommendation. Mm -hmm. And I also did the Youth America Grand Prix scholarship. And so I reached out to Larissa Sevelia, um, who has such a huge network of, of friends really who were working all over the world and um, she actually put me in touch with a few people which was really like it was really great <laughs> yeah were any of those roles that you um, worked with these coaches on uh, things that you ultimately got to dance later well they were supposed to be this past season that got canceled <laughs> uh, we, you had some really exciting things coming up we could let's yeah. talk about it if it's not too triggering <laughs> no no it's all, good. it's all good it's actually kind of you know just to think about you know, the roles again. I mean, I've, mm -hmm. there's been times where I talk about it a lot and then I've gone weeks where I'm just like, okay, I just want to be, have oh enough, like mm -hmm. away from ballet. And yeah. Where like now revisiting it, it's totally mm -hmm. fine. So mm -hmm. let's unpack it. <laughs> so what were, what were some of the things that we were supposed to see you in this year, but 2021, it's, it's the yeah. Calvin show. Yeah. What are we seeing you in? So um, I was going to make my debut as Romeo in mm -hmm. Romeo and Juliet um, alongside Misty Copeland and Cassandra Trinari. We were going to do it on tour in Abu Dhabi mm -hmm. um, and I was going to do it with Misty at the Met. Um, I was debuting the role of Albrecht and Giselle 
and I had a, a new role uh, to the repertoire and to ABT in um, Alexei Ratmansky's restaging of, of Love and Rage. So mm-hmm. those were like the three big principal roles that I was supposed to do, but 2021. Fortunately, I'm those come around a lot. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah no, I don't know no, there's no, ever no. been a, a Met season that I've seen without a Giselle or a Romeo and Juliet. So, <laughs> for sure. but it, it is like, it's, isn't that kind of beautiful? You've been in the company now for 10 years and it's just like what we were talking about. You had, you wait in line, but it does eventually you get there. And I, I feel like you're like, now you've established yourself so much through a decade of performing with the company that I'm sure that once you step into those roles, it's going to be a completely comfortable at home feeling yeah. versus doing something maybe in your second year. Totally. No, totally. And I think that's, for me, the thing that feels so special is that I have had that time in ABT where everyone that's in the room that are supporting me Mm -hmm. in these roles, it feels like I know them on a personal level. So when I get to perform it, you know, with them, it'll, it'll feel that much more just Mm -hmm. like a, a community. Yeah. Was there something in particular, um, a memory in particular from your travels from this grant, um, maybe that pertains to Romeo or Albrecht that you would, maybe in rehearsals, you were referring to a lot? Um, Honestly, I think it was when I went to the Mariinsky, that's when I worked on on Albrecht more um, Mm -hmm. than in other cities. And I just remember my coach, Igor Petrov um, at the Mariinsky, he was just always like, he came into the room with just all of this excitement and energy. And um, there were just times where I just felt like I could just go for it and fall on my ass and it'd be okay. It could be totally fine. Um, and I think that sort of spirit that that lived in the rehearsal room, then I kept that with me even to this day, mm-hmm. you know, in, regardless of whatever role I'm playing. Um, it's just kind of like, like I can just go for it and not not be afraid. Right. So uh, you said you also worked with acting coaches uh, yeah. on these travels. Yeah. Um, and you know, with, with these warhorse ballets, you know, everyone has seen. There are a million different ways of doing your Albrecht or of doing your Romeo. So, how did you find your own personal interpretation for those roles that felt comfortable and, and natural? Yeah, so I think having seen the roles performed at ABT so much over the past 14 years, um, I've had the chance to kind of see the the mm-hmm. elements in each role that others have played that mm-hmm. I just kind of pull from and also working with the acting coach. Like I sort of discover how do I want to tell the story in a way that's authentic to the story, but maybe making different choices that others may not have made um, Mm -hmm. in the past. And so I sort of pull from a little bit of everything and everyone that I've seen, um, but also ask myself, how is that I want to feel or how is it that I want to portray um, this character or this scene um, so it's, it's just kind of like this whole journey of discovery for me, um, with every role. Mm-hmm. So in 2017, you were promoted, promoted to soloist at ABT, which is an incredible achievement. Um, part of what makes it so special that you were promoted as we've been talking about is you've been in the company for quite some time at that point, 10 years. Um, so that means that your promotion was fought for and very well earned, um, do you feel that it would have felt different for you to have been promoted at a younger age, maybe when you hadn't been in the company as long? How do you think that would have differed? Um, I mean, 
I guess I, the way that I look at it now is that everybody kind of has their own trajectory, their own journey. Mm -hmm. um, I feel personally that, you know, my timeline felt natural and, and organic for me. Mm -hmm. um, and had I been promoted sooner, who knows, maybe I would have maybe danced Romeo or Albrecht sooner and had <laughs> more time to kind of settle into the role. But I also may not have had all of the experiences that I had that made me feel more comfortable and confident when I step mm -hmm. on stage like I do now. So right. I think it just it just depends on on each individual dancer's trajectory. And right. um, I have no regrets. <laughs> right. yeah. Another thing that I think um, probably goes hand in hand with this is what you're talking about when you when you are in a room full of people that are supporting you. Um, it's all people that have been with you for the past decade plus that um, have gotten to see your progress and then fall in love with you through that time. Um, whereas, um, you know, I'm sure that the, the, the company atmosphere is lovely anyway, but there is always the thing is like, if someone's getting an opportunity straight out the gate, it's, uh, you know, they don't have that family built yet, you know? Mm -hmm. So and, I think and you can feel it. I mean, you, yeah. And even in terms of like someone that may not necessarily be with the company, but be, may be brought in who mm -hmm. has no connection with any of us mm -hmm. on stage, it's the same thing. It's like, right. there's this person, how do you connect with them? Maybe right. there is a connection, maybe there's not. Um, but having had that experience of being part of the community for this long, mm -hmm. it just it just makes performing that much more enjoyable and, and less nerve wracking, I guess. Right. Yeah, especially those ballets that are such community ballets, you know, mm -hmm. all those yeah, classics. Like, like Romeo, especially, you know, mm -hmm. he's in those marketplace scenes with all the other dancers so much and mm -hmm. every show is so different. And so it's like when you know the people that are around, you can just kind of play and be yourself, almost, yeah. um, which is really cool. And when mm -hmm. the those people also are really excited for you, it's like I remember when we were doing Romeo and Juliet or whatever, and someone was making a debut, or mm -hmm. you know, it was like exciting to being in the core to kind of feed off of them and have little right. moments with them. It's like oh, a nice oh. community. Yeah, for sure. I think it also changes your status as a role model within the company because it's not just like, well, Calvin's this, of course, great dancer, and I look up to him for that. It's also like Calvin, like, did everything, you know, worked hard put in the time and and you it's like you are living proof that like that dream is a possibility yeah um, and, so. and that's that's all i could hope for i mean yeah. you know just to be be able to be myself be stay true to myself all these years and mm -hmm. and kind of work my way up and have those people around me that support me and also look to me as as you know someone to mentor or, mm -hmm. um it just it means a lot Let's switch gears and talk about the Vail Dance Festival and your time there. How many years have you been going now? I want to say, like, I want to say it's been six. This would have been six years. Yeah. I mean, yeah, coming out. Six yeah. years because you are the artist in residence this year yeah. and you will be in 2021. So you yes. get a bonus year, which is yeah. well deserved and we look forward to it. Um, tell us about how you first uh, came to the festival. So I was first invited um, by Damien to perform in a new creation with Pam Tanowitz. Um, and so that was my first intro to Vail. Um, I came out for the summer. I was there. I got to see all these perf incredible performances. Um, and it was just really nice to be able to be in the studio with a choreographer who I hadn't had the chance to work with at ABT. And mm -hmm. 
Um, so it was it was a lot of fun. And Pam is so great. So just like in the studio, outside of the studio, she's just so lovely and yeah. so funny. Um, and so that was my first intro to Vail. Was that the only thing that you were in that year? I yeah, I'm pretty sure yeah. that was the one one piece that I did. It's mm-hmm. so funny how that happens. Sometimes I feel like people, when it's their first year, they're maybe in just like one or two things, and then the next year they're just like jam packed yeah. with everything. <laughs> yeah, that's the, my next question. I guess was going to be: at what point did it start to become uh, the sort of relationship and dynamic that you have now, which is very much Damien um, and Heather pushing you into a rep that you don't always get to experience at ballet theater. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of Balanchine and Robbins, which of course they are the experts on. Yeah. Um, so what, when did that relationship start to build? What was the first thing maybe where they were like, let's try, let's let Calvin try this. Honestly, I think it was after the first year I mm-hmm. stayed in touch with Damien and Heather. Um, I mean that the first year that I was there, they were obviously, you know, really welcoming and really lovely towards me. Um, I know Heather always brings up that she first saw me years before I was invited to Vail when they were unveiling the Center for uh, Ballet um, mm-hmm. and Mark Morris was teaching a class that I was in at the time. And um, so it was after that first year that I did Vail that I kind of stayed in touch with them. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know what, let's let's give Calvin Stars and Stripes. <laughs> and it was my oh, first, first time the performing, first performing that ballet and I did it with Unity um, Phelan. And so I think it was just after that year, it was just like, it kept adding layer by layer. I did Agon, I did Afternoon of a Fawn, I did other ballets and worked with other choreographers. I worked with Pam again at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, I think it was just after that first year, they saw mm-hmm. how much I just enjoyed being there, even if it was just for the one the one piece. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it just kind of kept building after that. Let's talk about stars and stripes. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us, was this your first time dancing Balanchine, a Balanchine? I actually, no, it wasn't the first. I did Allegro Brilliant okay. uh, when I was in ABT Studio Company. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the first time dancing uh, stars and stripes. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> being up at that altitude, I Oof. felt like I was going to die. Yeah. It, was, <laughs> it was crazy. I remember after the pas de deux, I, no, it was after my variation. I went into the wings and I collapsed. And one of the wardrobe women, she had like an oxygen mask waiting for me. <laughs> she was like, take this, you won't survive. Mm, yeah, <laughs> you got a whole coder to get through. <laughs> I just remember it was so, it just, I felt crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just was like, I can't wait to do this at sea level. <laughs> what it actually feels like when you're not, you right. know, gonna mm-hmm. collapse. <laughs> stars, you know, stars is, um, we love stars. It's just this like wonderful slice of American virtuosity. But something like Agon is a lot more complex. Yeah. And um, you definitely need uh, someone like Heather Watts, who, um, you know, performed the Central Potato for years, sort of leading the way on that. So when did you, um, what year was it that you first debuted in Agon? And what was that rehearsal process like? So it was my, I want to say it was my third year coming to Vail. Um, and that's when Unity and I, we partnered up again for Agon. Um, both Heather and Damien were part of the process uh, staging it for us. And um, Heather was really great about giving us the sort of historical context of the piece. And um, I mean, she was in the room when Balanchine was there and, and mm-hmm. working with her on it. And so it was just... Um, she had a lot of just 
experiences that she had dancing the role that she passed on to us, which was really, really important. And um, it just gave us more meaning behind the steps. And um, and we ended up performing Agon almost every summer after that, mm -hmm. either at Vail or here in New York for, for performances here and there. Right. Yeah. Tell us a little bit uh, about your partnership with Unity Phelan. It's uh, sort of become a, a recurring theme at the festival. You guys, you click, I think, um, definitely, certainly as stage presences as a, as a couple, but like something about your work in the studio must also be, um, you know, good chemistry to keep this going. Yeah, I mean, Unity, just as a person, she's so wonderful and lovely and like, she's, she's focused but also there's times where it's like we have fun in the studio and I think that kind of we bring that energy when we come to stage together and um I've always just enjoyed performing with her and, and working with her and it never feels like a stressful situation it always just feels like okay let's do this you know mm -hmm. so yeah that's another partnership too um it's something we were we were talking to Damien um he was giving us a preview of the festival and okay. he was talking about how often dancers from different companies get to come together and your partnership with unity is a perfect example yeah. um, new york city ballet abt coming together and like you said now you do some other things together what other um opportunities have the pair of you had for performing outside of Vail? yeah so we uh one that was really um i think it was meaningful for both of us was uh we got to perform for Arthur Mitchell mm -hmm. um, at Columbia University when he was giving his archives to the university. Mm -hmm. um, and they put on a performance at the Miller Theater here in New York. Um, and we came out for Agon, we prepared, and as we're coming down the diagonal, we see Arthur Mitchell sitting in this big blue like armchair <laughs> <laughs> downstage right. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, whoa, we weren't expecting him to actually be with us. So I guess I could oh. say I performed with Arthur Mitchell there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that was really, really just so memorable. And I remember hearing um, after we performed the piece, him saying that the ballet is in good hands. And um, he, it was created on him and Diana Adams back in the 50s. And just being able to perform while he was there in the room was mm. just so special. Wasn't that um, like maybe a, was it a year before he passed away? Was, Pretty yeah, it was a year before right? he passed away. Yeah, and um, I remember, yeah, I remember too that, you know, he had uh, requested that I perform at his memorial service. Um, and so <sighs> Unity and I, we performed Agon at his memorial service. Oh, at that's... oh my goodness. I'm so those, those moments, just like having the experience to learn it for Vail mm -hmm. and then how much it sort of transcended getting. Mm -hmm for Arthur Mitchell um, and at his, his memorial was just, um, mm -hmm. yeah, something I'll never forget. Mm -hmm. So so while you certainly uh, are celebrated at Vail in the Balanchine rep, everyone loves to see, let's see Calvin do something that, um, you know, isn't in ABT's rep this year or maybe ever. Yeah. Um, it's not the only thing that you're sort of pushing 
something that's different, right? You, you, you've had the chance to work with Pam Tanowitz, as you've mentioned, um, but also there have been a lot of Cunningham works recently and you've been a yeah. part of some. Yeah, Cunningham, um, uh, Michelle Dorrance when she made her right. ballets for the festival, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so what are some of these experiences like for you and how do they affect the work that you do once you go back to ballet theater for the fall season? I think it's really just being able to put myself in these totally uncomfortable and foreign situations yeah. for me as a dancer um, and being able to sort of navigate and explore that. And being at Vail, we have that time and we're kind of away from our normal work at ABT. And and so I feel like having that experience at Vail has been um, just artistically, but also um, technically, like it allows me to just sort of Push, throw myself in into something new. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what I take away from it. And I, when I go back to ABT, if we're working with a new choreographer or if I'm creating something outside of ABT, um, it just allows me to just kind of throw myself into it and, and figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Tell us a little bit about the rehearsal process for Merce Cunningham works. Um, we've heard a lot about them at the festival and we know they differ so much um, from what we know is ball- for ballet rehearsals. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I think for the Merce work, it's really, um, I think it's, again, it's just like throwing my body into some of these shapes and like musicalities and ways of just like twerk- tweaking my body and, and mm-hmm. shapes that it normally doesn't ever do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's interesting because it's like a lot of, you go to a place and you have to learn how to recover from it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think in Cunningham's work, that's what's so beautiful about it is that it just, you know, something that you wouldn't think is is necessarily beautiful. Somehow the shapes that are created and and the costuming that that they put it to, um, it's just really cool and, and quirky and so, yeah. And often you don't hear the music ahead of time, right? Often we don't, which, I mean, I think there was one Cunningham ballet we did at ABT, actually. That was probably my first or second year in the company called Duets. Mm -hmm. And we didn't hear the music for the piece until the performance. (laughs) I just can't fathom that. I couldn't either. I was like, oh, okay, I guess this is what we're doing today. (laughs) It's so crazy. But what is the reasoning? I forget. Melissa Too Good has talked to us about it. What is the reasoning behind waiting to hear that music? I mean, the way that I understood it is that oftentimes when you rehearse to one track so much before the performance, it almost sometimes can become predictable. The performance Mm -hmm. can become predictable. And so when you don't have that music until the time where you're gonna perform, it kind of allows you to be more in the moment and kind Mm -hmm. of use what's happening in real time to influence the movement and the Mm -hmm. steps and the connection with your partner. So I think, it's scary, but it's also, um, it puts you more um, in the present, in the present mm-hmm. moment. So let's talk some now about uh, your position as uh, artist in residence this year and next. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about what that, what that means. How, how does that, um, how is that different from your annual presence at the festival? What, what, what new roles are you taking on with well, this? Well, I think, I think, um, you know, being being that this is going on the sixth year uh, of coming to Vail and now being the artist in residence, I've seen past artists in residence, um, dancers that have taken on this leadership role. 
Mm-hmm. And I think for me, um, how it differs is that I've sort of been recognized not just as a dancer, but as a, a leader in, in our industry. And mm-hmm. I think having this title and, and being able to um, not only just dance on stage, but do community events. Mm-hmm. I know this year we were um, talking about um, the importance of, of encouraging and mentoring boys in ballet, uh, which for me is like, you know, it's huge because we need more dancers to see and feel that they have a place and they, that they can can do it and be surrounded by a community of people that are here to support them. Right. And, and being able to be in that that leadership position to, to execute these things um, was really important for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell us also about your virtual world premiere that's going to be happening. There's a new piece being created for Vail, and we'll see it as part of the Now Premieres program, which is a cornerstone of the Vail Dance Festival, and we'll be able to see one of those during this digital festival as well. Yeah, so I am part of a new ballet or a new piece, a new film um, by uh, choreographer Bobby Jean Smith. And um, she's, we've basically been doing Zoom rehearsals um, together over the last few weeks. And we're filming tomorrow um, at um, Howard Beach Mm -hmm. here in New York. And so it's been really cool just to, again, throw myself into working with a choreographer I've never worked with before and kind of letting her movement influence my movement and, and what I'm feeling in the moment. And she's been so open to, to me taking what she's created and given me and sort of expanding on that, um, adding some of my own timing and improvisation in some places. Um, and I'm just really excited to share that with the festival. And um, especially given that most of us right now are isolated, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, being able to still create um, and, and present something meaningful and um, just heartfelt is, is really important to me. And I'm glad that I can, can share that with the festival this year. So what, what is it like then, um, you know, when you are working with a new choreographer, it can be like learning a new language. You know, every choreographer has a different, obviously, artistic viewpoint, but sometimes even a wholly different vocabulary. So what is that like trying to learn that for the very first time uh, via Zoom? You, you, don't, you can't actually, you know, see this person in, in three dimensions and, and absorb that way. It's, re- it's really a challenge mm-hmm. also because you see the movement coming at you, but you're like, okay, I need to reverse this now. <laughs> and what leg are you on? And like, mm-hmm. So in the beginning, it was really just trying to figure out how to, how to work in a rehearsal um, mm-hmm. digitally. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think after the first few goes at it, it got, got more natural and, mm-hmm. and, you know, there's this level of kind of flexibility and um, it's not so like set in stone, right. uh, which is helpful. <laughs> right. How many uh, dancers are a part of this piece? So it's three of us. It's me, Bobby and Melissa Tugood. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Yeah. And you'll all be recorded separately for this? So we're we're meeting tomorrow, but we will be recorded separately so that we could adhere to all of the safety and mm-hmm. um, social distancing mm-hmm. regulations and protocols. So yeah, there's another situation just like not ever hearing the music before going on stage. Here you are not even being together together until yeah. being yeah. in one space. That's yeah. so great. We're yeah. looking forward to seeing it for sure. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. So. Next year, 2021, you will once again be artist in residence. Um, 
what are some of the things that you've been thinking about or wanting to explore when hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, everything's crossed, we are all <laughs> yeah. back together in Vail? Yeah, um, so um, some of these things I may say now that I haven't had a chance to actually speak with Damien about. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> well, we've got to put it out into the universe. Yeah. You know, we've got a whole year ahead of us. So. We've got to plant the seed. Yeah. Um, I would, of course, love to continue this idea of mentorship and, mm-hmm. um, you know, working with young up-and-coming guys in ballet and other dance forms, too. Like, I would love to open that up. Um, but also performing with the festival. I would love to perform some new roles. Like, maybe doing... Last summer, I did um, an excerpt from Apollo... I got a chance to perform with ABT this past fall. Mm-hmm. Would love to perform the full ballet um, at Vail mm-hmm. um, or other Balanchine rep that I haven't had a chance to, do, to perform yet. Um, and also, uh, I would love to curate an evening or two at the festival, mm-hmm. um, just bringing together some of my favorite artists um, to the Vail stage. Can you uh, list off a you know a, a dream <laughs> dream team? What would what would your rep be? Mm-hmm. What do we get def- to see? I would definitely love to create a, a ballet. Uh, I would love to maybe collaborate too with Michelle Dorrance again. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe bringing in Buck if he's mm-hmm. available, and um, maybe create something for me and Unity. You know that we could we could share the stage and. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. The, the ideas list is, is growing. but, mm-hmm. but yeah. So have you been working uh, a, more recently as a choreographer? Is this an, a new interest for you that you've been pursuing? Yeah, so I, I've done, over the last couple of years, I've done a couple of films where I, I created uh, choreography for. Um, mm-hmm. And I have kind of, in this time of sort of stepping away from the stage, had more time to just kind of develop some ideas that I've had choreographically and um, and I'm having the chance to work with a couple dancers also right now. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's just, you know, obviously through Zoom. <laughs> but it, it's definitely something that I'm exploring and hoping to maybe develop into something uh, more right. down the line. So this is such a challenging time for artists of any type, especially ballet dancers. And we touched on it a moment before we started recording. But how are you kind of coping with this time of not being in the studio, not being around your ABT community, not being, you know, on tour like you were supposed to? Yeah, so, I mean, the best way that I can describe this time is that it's been a roller coaster. Um, Mm -hmm. It's honestly been a time where some days I feel great and I'm on top of the world and I'm doing my classes out of my balcony and kicking things over. Um, (laughs) And then there's days where it just feels like, like I literally don't know, um, you know, when I'll be back in the studio with my Mm -hmm. friends again and when I'll be preparing for a performance again. Um, So it's been really, really difficult and challenging emotionally, physically, not being able to move in, in a full capacity um, but one thing that I've kind of been doing more is writing. I've been uh, journaling a lot. I've been mm-hmm. blogging a lot and just sort of like, you know, if I'm feeling a certain way, I go out and I just talk to my, my camera phone and just like document how I'm doing, you know, checking yeah. in. And um, just I, I think for me, the biggest lesson right now is just to kind of take one day as it comes. Um, you know, there's always things that are coming up. Um, but I'm just kind of like just taking it one day at a time and like 
checking in with myself and my family and, and my boyfriend, Yatsik, um, who has been here with me during this, this um, sort of lockdown um, mm. situation. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just taking it one day at a time. Checking Other things... in with yourself is important. Yeah, yeah. That, that too, because like there were days where I was so overwhelmed. Like I literally had to turn off the, the TV and the news for like a week. You got or a couple of weeks. I mean, like every now and then just to check in and see, okay, can we go outside now? Yeah. <laughs> can we yeah. go to the grocery store? Um, but yeah, I, I just kind of have to like, I had to st- take a step back and, and just mm-hmm. kind of reevaluate and, and just kind of live day to day. Right. Are there things that you think though, when we do go back to normal, uh, if everything goes back the way it was, are there things that you would take from this time? Maybe habits that you formed or approaches that... Um, you've created um, that you think would still serve you well in a time where we can operate as we are used to? I think the thing that's always so hard is to not get too far ahead mm-hmm. um, in, in what was considered normal times. Like I was always thinking, okay, what's next? What am I doing next week? What am I doing in the spring? You know, and it's, mm-hmm. I think the thing that I, I would love to kind of hold on to um, the most is to tr- just keep trying to stay as present as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm in a rehearsal working on something, don't think about the next hour rehearsal that you have. Think about what's happening now and giving my all to the situation and my partner or, you know, listening to the music, like just mm-hmm. immersing myself in that present moment as much as I possibly can. Right. Um, because as we see, like, you can't get time back. And, mm-hmm. um, and so I think that's for me, the thing that I would love to hold on to as long as possible. Right. Yeah. yeah. So with the Veil Dance Festival being digital this year, there are some wonderful perks that a lot of people are going to be, get, be able to get this look at the festival who may, might not be able to come normally. So what is it that you hope that audiences will take away from this Veil Dance Festival digital edition? Hopefully they will um see the festival digitally this year and um just be that much more inspired and eager to see us when we're back on stage live i mean that's all i can hope for um and and you know it's right now we're all getting used to things happening virtually but Mm -hmm. i would love for um us not to only think that this is the way to the future. Right, right. <laughs> like, live performance is something that is so special and it's mm-hmm. so vital um, to our industry and to, you know, so many people that come and see. And, you know, there have been people that after performances have come backstage and said, oh my God, like being able to hear the orchestra playing and see the movement in real time, it's just like life-changing for some mm-hmm. people. And I just hope that, the the digital festival will just encourage people to see us and be like, okay, I'm buying my ticket to Vail next year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You yes. know? So yeah, we hope so too. <laughs> what do you think? Um, you know, Vail is a really special place, and it's easy to to rattle off a list of the things that um, we find so affecting when we're there. Uh, but what is, what's been the thing that you I get, think about the most when you're like, I wish we were all there together this year? <laughs> um, Vail is just such a sanctuary, I think, mm-hmm. for, for so many artists. And, you know, you're outdoors, you're surrounded by all the mountains and nature, and it just feels so cozy in a way. And mm-hmm. um, you're creating, you're working, you're collaborating. 
Um, and I think that's the thing that I miss the most right now, being kind of in, in this isolation is that, you know, I don't have that right now. <laughs> so I think that's the thing that I miss the most is being able to feel like I'm away from home, um, but also part of this community of artists and collaboration um, and creativity. Yeah. Well, we're going to get that spirit back. Yeah, no. 2021. Yeah. It's happening. <laughs> it's going to be our year. Yeah, we're claiming it. We're claiming it. Full <laughs> Calvin curated evenings. We're, we're ready. Seed, planting the seed. Can't wait. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Calvin, for joining us. It's always such a pleasure to speak with you, and we look forward to seeing you digitally perform um, a lot during this festival, and then, of course, hopefully, very soon in person. Do you have an idea of what we might be seeing you in other than the the premiere? It says I'll be an okay. opening night in Apollo, Parade. Um, I'll be dancing Bitter Earth. Uh, in the virtual gala, I'll dance Agon Parade. The now premieres Bobby Jean Smith's new mm-hmm. work, and that's that's my festival. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, on look almost at the... all of it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Bitter Earth is, is such a beautiful ballet. Um, who's your partner in that? I dance with uh, Bella. That's what I thought, right? And so it's it's a, a work that we were just talking about with Damien, where you know it was made for the festival, and then it's gone on to have this life outside the festival. Um, but it, it is I, I love how he gives it to different couples all the time. There's you know a video of Tyler Peck in it from a few years back, but um, the way you and Bella imbue it with your own qualities and characteristics is just so special and I, I can't wait to see that one again for sure yeah same i mean i i don't often get to see the ballet because I'm, I'm dancing it but it'll be, <laughs> ni- it'll be nice to to see it you know on the veil stage mm-hmm. and hear the words um and how i think for where we are right now in our world mm-hmm. uh will have take on a whole new meaning um, right. when, when i see the piece so for sure yeah, we might all cry <laughs> oh, the, no, yeah. I mean, it's, it's moving anywhere uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right well thank you so much calvin and we look forward to seeing you dance at the digital festival this year thank you thank you both thank you for joining us this week if you would like to support the conversations on dance podcast there are a few ways that you can help click over to apple podcasts and leave us a review Download episodes when you listen to allow our analytics to better understand our listenership. Join our Facebook group, Conversations on Dance, Friends of the Pod, or you can offer a donation. Conversations on Dance has always been and will always be free to our listeners. You can help us continue to create and produce this unique behind-the-curtain look at the dance world by visiting conversationsondancepod.com support. Thank you for tuning in. See you next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher.